Well, I'm going to finish. Not finish, but I'm going to... Maybe this one and maybe one more. Who knows? Uh, But I'm going to go back down the road of uh, our series of how to handle your miracle. And this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, something a little a little diff- different, and I'm excited to talk about it because to me it's like a call to come back home. I feel like I've been on this journey with God man, a couple of years trying to do the Floyd thing. Floyd is, is the miracle that I uh, experienced in, in my life because of the importance of it and the purpose and just uh, so much uh, stuff from me uh, one th- a couple of things I learned about this project was I learned how important focus is. I learned how important focus is. Some of the things that I preached for many years, I got the opportunity to t- to, to test them uh, through this uh, process. I've told you before, a lot of times in church, we are big talkers in church. And then when it comes to the doing, we're very short on the doing. Uh and it ain't, it ain't just the congregation. That's preachers do the same thing. You got a lot of preachers, same thing. Big time talking and, you know, beautiful hair and beautiful clothes. And they can sell it to you. But if you ask them to do it, they, they can't do it because they about the conversation. The Bible says that uh, with the disciples, it was about, Paul said it's not just with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it's about demonstration. Yeah. Right. The Bible says that those that you. Uh, follow that you consider the end of their life. That means are they getting results? Is anything happening? The stuff they preaching to you is it working for them? Come on now, Amen. And so um, we don't want to be people who go around. I mean, you know that that uh, the disciples, though they preached and they wrote, they demonstrated. Yeah, right. I mean, you know that they preached it, they wrote it, but they demonstrated it. And thank God that they demonstrated because what are we reading about the disciples? We're reading what they demonstrated, right? So we're reading the act. When you read the book of Acts and they start talking about the beginning of the church, we're reading about what they did, not just what about what they said. What would the Bible look like if there were just people talking and nobody doing? Yeah, you should. You should and you should. You should. Matter of fact, there was a group of people in there and, and the uh, Bible gives us instructions about them. The Pharisees, they says, uh, you know, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Right? They told us that. They, the, the, the disciples, Paul and, and, and Peter and James and John and these boys would go into places and get beat up, thrown out of town, locked up, all kind of stuff happening. People, people hated them and everything, but they kept, they did it. They wasn't doing, they wasn't saying stuff and not doing it. Let me ask yourself something. Or ask, ask you something. Are you comfortable <coughs> being a Christian that's always talking about something, and when you look back at your life, you never did anything for God? You have to ask yourself that question. And I'm telling you, a lot of times in church, people are very comfortable with that. Well, shoot, I really don't mind. Uh, I say I've said some things, and I've encouraged some people. I don't look back upon the whole thing that I didn't do anything. Uh, you know, how many people did you lead to Jesus over your lifetime? Well, there was this one guy, he was emotionally moved during our conversation. You know, nah, man. And I'm going to put some pressure on you. If you if you call yourself a Christian and you ain't never led nobody to the Lord, you got some work to do. 
I'm gonna put the pressure on. Yeah, you got to have, you got to win somebody. Well, we give to the missionaries, they do that job. No, you got to get your one. <laughs> you got to get your one. Amen. You got to get your one. And I'm going to tell you how to, well, Pastor, we don't know how to do that. Well, it starts with praying, number one. Pray, God bring the fish to you. Then he do that for uh, for the disciples. He said that we need to pay the taxes. He said, just go out there. He said, I'll bring the fish to you. And so God will bring people around you. And how many, I bet you, I guarantee you, God's already been bringing people to you. But have, have, have you acted a fool when they came around? Uh-oh. That might have been your person. You blowing gaskets and not behaving yourself. They see you mediocre Christianity. But we need to fix that, amen? We need to win somebody to Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, we need to win somebody. 2019, I'm going to get me somebody. Tell them that. 2019, I'm going to get me somebody. I'm going to get me somebody. So, so, so we talk, we look and we're talking about how to handle your miracle. And we have been on this series talking about that oftentimes when God gives you something, maybe something even that you've prayed for, right? That it can, it can look far different than, uh, what you thought it was going to be. And so last week I used the example of a generator. I said a lot of times your miracle can look like a generator that won't start. So you go down and you say, well, this thing is broken. It won't start. It's not good. You know, God, you gave me this generator and it don't work. And so we abandon the miracle because it doesn't look like what we, our preconceived notions said it should look like. But I want you to understand something, too, that we, we talk about David now. Because of what David did to Goliath. That's the only reason we talk about David. Well, David's not interesting. No matter what else did David do besides what he did to Goliath? That, that put him, now he won some battles, but I mean, he, he had a problem with ladies. Let's tell the truth. He had a problem with the ladies. David had a problem. You know, and, 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 and he was a good fighter, but Goliath is the, the thing that the grade school kids, everybody talks about David because he whooped Goliath. Right? And so a lot of times, we run from different things. But I want you to think about this. The thing that you ask God for, if God delivers it to you in the form of a struggle or something difficult, it's probably because God is hiding it from everybody else. That is good. Amen. Probably because God's hiding it from everybody else. So if God presents this, you know, nobody, everybody wants a shiny generator. Everybody wants a shiny generator, right? So, so if God says, I'm a, I got this generator for my people. This is a special generator, this, that, and the other. And everybody's going to walk by the generator, but I want the generator to sit here for, for my person, whatever, this, that, and the other. So I'm going to disguise this generator as an old beat-up Camaro, right? An old beat-up yellow Camaro. Y'all know where I'm going. Right? You don't, don't watch movies. I'm going to disguise this generator as an old beat up yellow Camaro. And so, uh, nobody's going to want this old beat up yellow Camaro. But because it's special, I'm going to keep it for my person and I'm going to give my person spiritual vision to say that I prayed, this is what God gave me. It must be something special about this Camaro. So then when I hop in the Camaro and I start driving, and the Camaro throws me out of the front seat and starts making these mechanical sounds and stands up and starts talking through the radio. Whoa! Thank you, Jesus! I didn't know my Camaro could do that. 
But if you just put the shiny Camaro, everybody wants that one. But he protected your gift in disguising it, oftentimes as an ugly yellow Camaro. And they got the movie coming out for Christmas time. It's going to be an ugly yellow Volkswagen Beetle. Right? Talking about the Transformer movie, right? Bumblebee. And so when we, when we ask God for something, we come on and God delivers it. I'm telling you, this is the way God preserves your stuff. Oftentimes. But when you come up on it and you're like, man, I don't know about this. This looks like this too hard work. Listen, if it was easy, everybody come get it and everybody want it. They'll take it before you, before you get it. And so God says, listen, I got a plan. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to make you. I'm going to shape you in the process of this hard work. Right? <clears throat> when I, when I, when, when I, this is the way I look at it. If I ask God, God, I want this, you know, use me, God. Make me somebody that you can count on. I want to do great things in the kingdom of God. Well, there's a bridge that, that you have to cross. And, and, and going across this bridge... There are difficulties on the way until where you want to be. So you're going across this bridge and you, you're having all these struggles and these fights and this, that, and the other. Well, God says, I'm true enough, I'm going to take you to where you want to be, but you're not ready to be where you want to be, so i got to take you across a bridge, and the bridge is a qualifier, it is a separator. Because if you don't go across and encounter the struggles going across the bridge, you're not going to be ready to handle the thing that you want to go to. That's why I'm going to put it across the water. Because a lot of people won't go across the water to get to it. So therefore, I'm going to keep it away from them, and I'm going to fix you on the way to get to it going across the bridge. So while you're struggling, while you're praying, listen, some people would never pray if it wasn't for hard times. Some people would never read their Bible if it wasn't for hard times. And so what does God say? God puts something incredible in front of you, something that you want in front of you. He dangles a carrot in front of your face, and you start going in that direction, and you looking at that carrot, you say, man, I got to get to that carrot, whatever that carrot is for you. And God is pulling you by your own desires, working crap out of you while you're on the way to get what you want. And the other person is never going to get it because they say, oh, you know, it ain't worth it. What did he say? The kingdom of God is if a man hid a treasure in the field. Right? And it said the man went and sold everything he could and he bought the whole field because the treasure was that important to him. Listen, these disciples went through some stuff. What do we, what do we say? The scripture we read, uh, last week. He says, if you can't handle money, he can never give to you the true riches. Well, what are the true riches? It's the power and access, access to God's power. If you can't handle material things, God can't trust you with no kind of power. Right? So when we're on the way to whatever, whatever, whatever that thing is that we want to be, the way we want to be, God can deliver it to you in an infant type stage, and you have to manage it. Yeah. It's like we say, my miracle is broken. God, I prayed and you gave my miracle, but my miracle is broken. Well, part of you, the, the, of you being able to deal, listen, people tear up stuff all the time. I'm one of them. When you first got your first car and you ain't responsible, I, I, mom, dad, I want a new car. I want a brand new car. Can you buy me a brand new car? I said, listen, you, you see how we live around here, chief? You look like we got new car money in here right now. If we had new car money, we wouldn't be living like this. And so, but you want a brand new car, you're out of your mind. But you're young. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from them. That's what the Bible said. 
You want me to buy you a brand new car? No, I'm not going to buy you a brand new car. I'm going to get you an old yellow Camaro. Man, this thing is on me this morning with the Camaro. I'm going to go get you this old yellow Camaro. That The man said in the movie that this is the way it's supposed to be. Your first car is supposed to be crappy. That's the word he said, right? Your first car. Because what? You can't, if you go and run and make, put dents in it, it's okay. Because it was messed up anyway. And so when you first learning how to drive, what do you do? You bang up stuff, you mess up stuff. If I tell you how important it is to change the oil in the car and you don't do it, it's okay. But if I give you a brand new car and you don't change the oil in a brand new car, it's a whole different thing. Right? And I remember my son, uh, we had bought a Land Rover from the people across the street. It was maybe 10, 12 years old. And so the Land Rover had sat on the side of the road forever. Uh, and we were wondering what, what was up with the car. They had just put a new motor in it, painted it. Now we painted it, they put a new motor in it. So we bought the Land Rover from them. We gave it to my, my first son. He drove it around. He did okay with it. We gave it to my second son. So <clears throat> we, we were up in New York. And uh, he he called me and said, Dad, the, the, the Land Rover's overheating. I said, son, stop driving the Land Rover. We're going to figure out what it is when we come back. Don't keep driving it. And so he's going to keep putting water in it, right? Get, got a new girlfriend. He's going to go see the new girlfriend. Back and forth to our house in the car. You know, he keeps putting water. I said, son, stop driving the Land Rover till we come back. I need to figure out what's going on with the car. Don't drive it no more. Park it in the driveway and don't drive it. He keeps driving while we're gone. Come back, he cracked the heads in the, in the engine because it kept getting hot. But see, it's a passed down 10, 12-year-old Land Rover that he tore up, right? So you say, God, I'm ready for something big, big time. That's what I'm a 10-talent guy. And all I'm seeing from you is you're putting forth one talent. It's some type of insult or what? I think I'm ready for 10 talents. And God said, no, you're not ready for 10 talents. You're still, don't be embarrassed. Don't be, don't be upset. But you are a one-talent guy at present, Right? And so you want the ten talents, God said, I'm not going to give you some big responsibility so you can mess that up when you're not even ready to handle something small. And that's the way that we are. We want the big responsibility. We Give me something big, right? Give me something gigantic that I can mess up, right? And ruin up a bunch of people's lives in the process. God said, no, nah, people too valuable. I'm not going to give you that kind of influence over people and you're not ready for it yet. We don't agree with God. It ought to be my time to shine. It's not your time to shine. You got the wrong attitude in the first place. The disciples want to shine. He said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. So when God brings you your miracle, and it don't look the way you want it to work, look the way you want it to, number one thing is you can't be trusted if you can't see that God brought it to you. If you can't see, listen, this, this Camaro is old, ragged, and yellow, but it came from, listen, if it, I don't care what it looked like if God brought it to you, it's something special about the car. There you go. And I'm using the term car. If God brought it to you, it's something special about the thing. Yeah. There is potential in the thing for something incredible to happen. But you don't want to wait. You don't want to give it the time for it to go. Now, we talked about last week also that some people are not... Uh, everybody's not excited about your miracle. Everybody's not. Some people just pass right by your miracle. Old raggedy yellow car. Yeah, you say God brought it for you. Yeah, sure. Little raggedy car. God give gifts like that. I don't want one. That's why you ain't gonna get nothing. Come on now. That's why all you're gonna be doing is this right here. You're never gonna get an old yellow raggedy car from God. I, I want an old yellow raggedy car from God. Mm-hmm. 
If the old yellow raggedy car can change shapes and turn into something else and talk, I want the old raggedy car. But some people are never going to have respect and they're never going to be able to see past surface stuff. That's why God's not going to give them nothing. This is a fact. Right? So we talked about first thing, your miracle might not look the way it won't. Everybody's not going to celebrate your miracle. And this morning I want to talk about sometimes you're going to grow weary dealing with your miracle. Sometimes you're going to grow weary dealing with your miracle. Uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Sometimes you're going to get tired. You ain't the only one. God called you to do something. Your miracle could be your calling. Whatever it is that you're asking God for, that's your miracle. Sometimes you're going to get tired dealing with your miracle. You can't... You can't be upset because God's giving you this old yellow car to deal with and you have to change spark plugs and do mechanic work on it. And you feel like the other person always has some kind of a, uh, you know, brand new vehicle, this, that, and the other, and ain't having to do much work on it. You can't be upset and say, hey, why, why, why is it this way for me? Well, understand that God felt like he could trust you with that special thing. And until you, you have to go to God to see what's special about the thing that he's given to you. Remember what we said last week? He gave Moses a monumental task. And the only thing he gave Moses was a stick. But there was something special about that stick, wasn't it? When Moses first held a stick in his hand, he didn't know that. Wish I had a stick this morning. He didn't know there was something special about the stick. But God told him, he said, drop it on the ground. And that stick came to life. I bet nobody else had a stick like that. Now listen, you know, I handle wood almost every day. Right, in that barbecue pit. And you know, to me it's just I just throw it in there and burn it. Right? I but when you if you tell me one of these barbecue sticks can turn into something alive, that would change some things for me. Right? So something listen, Moses was out and uh working in the fields whatever with his job sure he was dealing with animals, this that, and the other. And always this is something that he always had. But he didn't know something that he always had could do that. But what was the difference maker in it? It was God. God was the difference maker. Right? Let's go on. First Kings, you already over there? 19, chapter 1. Growing weary in the midst of your miracle. No, First Kings, uh, chapter 19. First Kings, chapter 19. Starting at verse 1. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. Yeah, First Kings. First Kings 19, starting at verse 1. I thought I was going to say something else. All right. And Ahab told Jezebel, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again to speak. And I pray you continue to guide and lead this service, make an impact this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done also, how he had executed all the, uh, the prophets with sword. Then Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah saying, 
So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So everybody knows the story of Elijah and the, the battle of the prophets and how he slew all of these prophets and he called uh, fire and rain down from the sky in the presence of all of these people. He was was hiding himself for a number of years. He comes and he does this battle against hundreds of people in the presence of the king and his evil bri- uh, bride. He does all of these these miracles in the presence. He's, now he's one against everybody. Truly him against the world, right? So he's there and he does his battle. It ain't rain. He tells them, he says, look, you guys get down there and see if y'all can call down fire from the sky. You call on your gods and this, that, and the other. Then he starts to mock them and this, all this other stuff. I'm talking about faith is pumping. There must have been an anointing on him like never seen before that day. Boy, God was on him and he was confident that God was on him. Y'all get out there, shoot your best shot, this, that, and the other. It ain't working for you. Ha, ha, ha. He was, he was getting on him. Then he says, that's enough of that. Y'all get out the way. You cut yourselves. You done done all this other stuff. Now get back. So he gets over there and he then he tells him, he says that to add insult to injury, he said, fill the thing up full of water. He said, but I, this is a fire calling contest. Why you want me to put water on the wood? He said, because my God is just that bad. You boys couldn't do it with everything you did. Just do what I tell you to do. So they dump all the water on the wood. Then he gets over there and he starts praying that fire come down, licked up all the water, consumed up the sacrifice. I bet he was just beating his chest. Ah, right. And so he does all of this stuff. Then he goes over. At God's request, if we go back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, right, uh, verse 1, just get back over to verse 1, chapter 18, verse 1. 1 Kings 18, 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go and show yourself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So God said, I want to send the rain back. He had stopped the rain for a couple of years, and God said, I want to send the rain on the earth. So Elijah goes, and he has this fire calling contest. He calls down the fire, licks up the water, burns up the sacrifice. Then he gets over there, and he starts praying in verse 41 of chapter 18. And uh, Elijah starts to pray. And, 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 and he has to go. He tells his servant, he said, go check it out and see if you see a cloud. The servant came back. He said, I don't see nothing over there. Chief, there's nothing happening, right? He says, go again seven times. So then he comes back and says, I see a little cloud. So then, uh, Elijah, I preached this message before eight marks of man of faith. Look it up on the podcast if you don't have it. But, uh, Elijah, so he goes back and it finally rains just like he said. Now, we, one of the things I want to point out right here is that it was God's idea to send the rain. So God wanted to give the miracle, right? It was God's idea to send the rain, but Elijah still had to pray for what God wanted to do. Do you hear what I said? We just read it in the scripture in chapter 18, verse 1. God said, I'm going to send rain. In verse 41, Elijah had to pray for what God wanted to do. Elijah had, and then he didn't just pray, well, you know, uh, God want to do it, so God let it be done. Amen. So the Bible says he cast himself between his, his face between his knees, and he's there calling on God, telling his man, go check it out. He's having to do some intense praying for something that God wants. Well, Elijah's, Elijah's like probably cool. You know, no water, no problem. God said, no, I want to bring the water back. So Elijah, he tells Elijah, go do it. Elijah understood that this is how I have to communicate with God. Remember that. Remember that. So Elijah 
has, has went through this time. He's called down the rain. He's called down the water. They killed the prophets of Baal. And so now Jezebel, wicked, this woman on the planet in history of wicked women, she tells him, if I don't kill you uh, like them, he said, the gods do more so let them just kill me, but I'm going to get you, buddy. Right? She tells this to the man of God. Now remember, Elijah just experienced this huge miracle, doing all this stuff, and look at how he responds. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I, I, I am no better than my father's. So the man of God who just had this big, humongous victory gets to the place. And last week I was standing there and I was reading this and I was I had it in my notes. And man, I was just every time I read it, I couldn't control myself. I was just crying because I can identify with that brother saying it's enough. Let me read it again. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down underneath the broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Has anybody ever got to a place in your life to where you're so overwhelmed with something where you're saying, it is enough. I had enough. Just me and a couple people just had enough. I've been to the point with stuff and projects to where I have just told God, man, that's enough. In pain and so much uh, mental and emotional pain that my body is aching. And I tell God, that's it's enough. I can't do no more. No mas. Can't do no more. And I, can, I could identify with this because I've pushed it that hard with things in my life several times to where I just told God, man, I can't do no more, man. No mas. No more. But the crazy thing about it is, is that God knows that you can do more. God knows that there's power in the stick. He knows what the Camaro will do. So let's keep reading here. So there are four things that I want you to take away from this morning, right? In, 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 in dealing with weariness. And we're going to see that God sent divine help when Elijah couldn't help himself. The second thing we're going to see is that Elijah aggressively pursued God uh, with the shot of grace that God gives to him. The third thing we're going to see is that God, uh, he got next instructions in the quiet place of the Lord. And the fourth thing we're going to see is that God sent him companionship at a time that he needed it. Right? So let's keep going. So he's underneath the tree. He wants to die. He says, I want to commit suicide. Just kill me. Take my life. I, I can't go no further. Verse 5. Then as he lay slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. So Elijah was at a point so depressed he couldn't help himself, and God sent an angel to help him out. Now, I, I don't know about you, but anytime I've ever got to a place where I couldn't help myself, I, I felt like I couldn't even pray. I don't want to pray. I don't want to talk to God. I just want to do whatever depressed people do. God's always sent somebody to me to help pull me out of it. Amen. Anybody else ever been down that road? God always sends somebody to you to pull you out of it, right? So he sent the angel... And the angel tells him, get up and eat. So one of the things that depressed people don't like to do is, they, they, one of the things they won't do, most of them, they won't eat. God says, bro, you're depressed, you're afraid, you're terrified. Get up and eat. Most of the time when you see, hear about somebody dealing with somebody depressed, they don't want to get out of the bed, they don't want to do nothing. Somebody has to go nothing. I told you, when I went through that time, my wife, make, it was just a tremendous help when she made my toothbrush. 
I don't want to do none of that. She make my toothbrush, give me something to eat, nudge me, get me out of bed. And once I got going, I was okay. God knows that that's the way you are. When you get to a place and you're so down, the simplest things, you just almost got to like pulling a string on, on, the, on the lawnmower. Because I just keep pulling it. Once I get it started, they can get going. So here's Elijah needed a jump start. Like I said, number one, God will send you divine help at the time when you can't help yourself. <clears throat> Verse six, then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. All right, so he ate, he drank, he still couldn't shake it off. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of the food 40 days and 40 nights uh, as far as the horror of the mountain of God. The second thing is, oh, this is still part of the first thing. All right, so so here the angel comes not only one time, but he comes twice. I remember there was one time in my life I had was going through something and, and, and dealt with something. I felt like I made a bad decision. And, man, I was terrified that I made the decision. And God sent somebody, a couple people to me. And it, and it, it was a great detour in my life. But both of them, uh, God sent them to reach their hand out. And it was, listen, it was so difficult for me to accept their hand. Because I was I was too busy trying to focus on the mistakes that I made. I want you to understand something. God knows the mistakes are built into the journey. When you make a mistake or you get to a place where you wore out and God sends somebody to extend their hand to you to help you, don't you turn down their hand. You say, well, I'm waiting on God to come. That is God coming through the person. God sent the person to come help you out of your situation. Right? So he sends the angel twice. He tells him to get up and he tells him to eat. And so he takes off. So he arose, verse 8, so he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as the horror of the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for your children for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed the prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand in the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind and tore the mountains and broke the rocks in the pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after a small, still voice, a small, still voice. So it was that Elijah heard it and he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly the voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down the altar. Now this is the exact same thing. He says it twice. Torn down your altars and killed the prophets with the sword and I alone am left and they seek my life. So here Elijah, what does he do? He gets to the place, he's depressed, he's afraid. He's depressed, he's afraid, he runs, he hides. The Lord sends divine help. Now, this is what you have to remember to do. When God sends that initial help to you, right? They send that initial help, that initial help, whatever it may be, food, whatever, get up, come on, hold your hand, encouraging word, this, that, and the other. Now, you can't 
100% go the rest of the way off of that, you then have to use that strength to pursue God aggressively yourself. Now, he was stuck where he couldn't pray for himself. He was stuck to where he wanted to commit suicide. God sent the help. Now, what does he do? Because it said it twice. He tells God two times. He said, I was very zealous for the Lord God. That's, this is describing aggressive pursuit. He says, I got to go to a place where I can get to God myself. So God sends the initial help, but he takes the responsibility on himself after that to go in and pursue God for himself. Sometimes we feel like we want to live off God sending people nudging us and giving us encouragement. That's just to get you started. After the people get you up and where you can walk, you have to start pursuing God for yourself. That's right. Amen. Right? So he begins to pursue God for himself and God says to him, God says to him, he says, he says, uh, gives him more instructions. Right? God gives him instructions and there was strength in the instructions that God gives him. But where did Elijah find God at? He found God in the quiet place. He found God in the place of prayer. God showed up and gave him instructions in the, in the place of prayer. He pursued, he got by himself, he got in that cave. And it says what? It says that God came in the wind, he came in the earthquake, he came in the fire. He said he couldn't hear God in none of them. But he heard the small, still voice. The, the best thing that you can ever do for yourself when you find yourself hurt or weary on the journey that God has for you is to get by, get to find some place to pray. Amen. But we think that's the, the, we don't have a lot of confidence in prayer. We think that, that prayer is something, uh, uh, mysterious and nobody knows about prayer. We don't know, I don't know what's happening. I don't know if God's gonna show up when I pray or not. But why did he tell us to do it so much if he don't plan to use it? Let's read the scripture. Let's see what Jesus said about it. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. This is what Jesus said about praying. Luke 18, 1. And he spake the parable unto them as, uh, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. The uh, Amplified Classic Version says that men ought to pray and not turn coward. He said, men ought to always pray. When you find yourself in a difficult time, dealing with your journey that God has you on, he said, you ought to pray. Don't faint. Don't pass out. Don't quit. Don't think about suicide. Don't pack it in. Pray. He said, that's your answer. But what happened when Elijah went over there to pray? God showed up and started giving instructions. What happened after God gave him instructions? He got up and he said, it says that he went. 40 days in these instructions. The instructions came, the package of instructions had strength on the inside of it. Sometimes you just need to hear from God. Are you still with me? Because that's one of the things that Elijah said. He said, I'm by myself. He said, I'm the only one left. God said, no, you're not in it by yourself. He said, there's 7,000 more that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. We need to know that we're not, this, this ain't only happening to me. We need to know that I'm not the only one struggling with this. When you get an assignment with God, when God delivers to you that thing that you have to care for, that you have to look at, look after, sometimes you get tired. You don't want to pray. You don't want to talk to nobody. You find yourself depressed. You find yourself underneath the tree. God sent you that initial help. You need to take that strength and begin to pursue God. Don't miss the opportunity to pursue God. Jesus said that men ought always to pray 
and not faint. Let's keep going. Where should we stop at? Ryan? Then the Lord said unto him, Go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And then you will arrive at and anoint Haziel king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel, uh, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And uh, he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him and left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for you have uh, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and balled their flesh uh, using the oxen's equipment, oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elisha and became his servant. So the last thing, remember what I said? At a certain point after you have, God has sent you the divine help and given you strength. You got up and prayed for yourself. God's going to give you next instruction. And then at a certain time, you know, a lot of us, when we, when we're doing things, we're in it alone. It might be us and our spouse. It might be just us. And you feel like, man, God, I sure could use some help. At a certain point, God's going to send somebody else to serve with you. So after he went through all of that, what does God do? God sent Elisha. He said, go anoint him and help him to be his servant. So God understands that we get weary when we are on the battlefield. God understands that we get weary when he delivers you something that you have to take care of. He understands that. He understands that you get tired. And he will send you divine help when you need it. Right? But you have to take on responsibility to pray after that. And then after you do that, God will give you next instructions that will have strength in that. And then whenever you need the help from other people, God will send them to come and help you too. Everybody gets tired on the journey with God. Everybody does. I'm telling you, I, I, so many times uh, of, of doing stuff, it's like, man, it's just me and Lauren. Man, we sure could use some help. I, there was another guy in the Bible, and I'm, I'm just about finished. There was another guy in the Bible that, you know, he told God, God said, look, I got an assignment for you to go on. I want you to go do this thing, and I'm going to send you. And he said, God, I can't do it by myself. I need somebody. He said, ah, my speech ain't that good, and this and that and the other. And he begged God for some help. He said, God, please send me some help. Send me some help. And I, give, give somebody else to go with me. He said, all right, take Aaron. Aaron wasn't that much help. <laughs> so listen, that's the way we are. A lot of times we want God to send somebody with us. We want to rush the help along, you know, and they might not be the help that God wants you to have. And so Moses goes up on the mountain being spiritual to spend time with God. Who is the one that fashions and designs the idol after, after he gone? The one that God gave him the help. So listen, what you're looking for is God's help. Come on, Right? Come on. You ain't looking for just any help. You want the one that God sent. 
Uh, Pastor Ben, when they got ready to come, when I came, we met. We were sitting right here on this on this pew, and he was talking about coming to the church. I said, "Look, no, no." I said, "Did God tell you to come?" Remember that? I said, "Did God tell you to come?" I said, "Don't come if God didn't tell you to come. Don't come." I said, "If God told you to come, then you come. If God didn't tell you to come, don't come." Now that, that's not a way to recruit members to the church <laughs> for a pastor. But I understood that we didn't need people flying in here and flying out. We need some consistency. Right? So if you're going to come at this stage, because if God told him to come and he comes and he burns off real quick, that's between him and God. Now you, now you got to deal with God because you, didn't, you, you ain't doing what God wants you to do. Listen, there's some moments that I want to leave. I just want to pack it in. You know what? I ain't going to be back over to Cross Church. I quit. Jump in my Jeep, we'll leave the Lexus here, and we just go. <laughs> Furniture and all, we're never coming back. I'm telling you, sometimes I look at that Jeep and I think like that. I think about leaving my wife and everybody. I just, she just find me somewhere. I'll call, I'll send her a text message when I land. My wife catch up to me when I get where I'm going. I just can't do it no more. I'll be honest with you. But see, that's not an excuse to quit. If, if just thinking about stuff, was, was the, the, the motivating factor to give you permission to do it, we would be terrible. We all think about crazy things, but you can't do them. And so when God, when you're in a, this thing with God and you get tired just because of thoughts run across your head, a pastor made a uh, preach the other day about Peter, jump ship. You can't just jump ship and leave. But in church culture, a lot of times that's what it's about. We don't understand how important what we're doing is. We don't understand what's on the other side of your obedience and how important that thing is. And so we don't have no problem quitting stuff. I feel like God guiding me somewhere else. I feel like he's taking me somewhere else. I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us. You know, our time here is done. But your time here never really started because you never really was with the vision. You was here because you liked it and now you don't like it no more and you're leaving. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Church people don't want to hear that. But that's the problem. That's why the church can't get nothing done because we tell them what they want to hear. And in and, and, uh, and the book of Acts, they didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. Hey, listen, listen. You can you drink the cup that I drink? Don't be talking to me about who's going to be the greatest. Well, hey, there's another dude over there. He ain't upon our team. He don't hang out with us, but he casting out devils too. Should we shut him down? They said all kind of stupid stuff. And Jesus told him, he said, nah, if they're not against us, they for us. Leave them alone. Let them cast out devils. How many of you cast out this week? Well, do we really have to go down that road? <laughs> no, it's, listen. If you believe that because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to hell and you're going to spend eternity in heaven, that's important. That means it's important for every living human being on the planet. So we don't have time to play church games when something disimportant is on the line. That's right, amen. We don't have time to play games. We need to be focused. And start get our feelings out of the way. Get to some level of maturity. Listen, I, I'm different than any other pastor that ever came here. Right? But you got, you got some folks... That have not, not just me, talk about me being different, that have made it through, I don't know, 10, 15 pastors at this church. But they ain't, you know, a guy coming here, I'm sure he's weird or different or whatever, or done some stupid stuff, and they, they, they hang because they understand God got them here. God got me on this journey. Not about the preacher, I'm here for God. 
You know, when, when I was served under my pastor, did everything my pastor do that I, I, uh, that I appreciated, that I think he was, you know, did he, did, did I think sometimes he was messing up? Shoot you, I thought he was messing up sometimes. But I understood that God knew it. Now, I'm not going to support him, you know, doing sinful things, and I know about that. But I'm talking about just some of the decisions. Hey, man, he the man. He in the chair. And sometimes I used to think, hey, I, I could do a better job. I could do a better job. <laughs> but you know what? I hadn't crossed the, the bridge yet. And so on the way across the bridge, sometimes God would show me, that's why he did that. That's why he did that. That's why he behaved this way. You were, you, you were not ready at the time. You would have destroyed some stuff. So the same thing you're being critical of him for, now you're doing it because you had never been in that spot before. Right? So it's not going to be perfect. But when you understand what's on the line, it's worth going through the hard times. Whatever God, whatever assignment God puts you on, it's worth going through the hard times when you understand what's on the other side of the thing. If you, listen, you, I mean, do you know that you can make a habit of quitting? You can make a habit of giving up. That means that any, you set a clock inside of yourself that says, whenever something gets hard, I give up. And, and, and without you even thinking about it, that's what you'll do. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. And then you'll never finish anything in your life. Because you're so used to quitting. You have to come to a place the way you says, I'm going to hear from God what it is I'm supposed to do, where it is I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to commit to that thing. Come hell or high water, I'm committing to the thing. If you don't have that kind of attitude, God can't use you. And he said it in the word. He said, if you're double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, I can't work with you. Are you going to commit to what I ask you to do and do that thing? And fruit comes when you commit. The sole purpose of the apple tree is to do what? Grow apples. It's committed to putting them apples out. The sole purpose of the orange tree is committed to putting out oranges. It ain't trying to, well, you know what? Orange tree ain't sitting up there saying, well, you know, I sure would like to put some apples out. What would that be like? No, you just keep putting out them oranges. We have to learn the power of focus. Now, again, you know, if, if I get to doing something stupid, that's a whole different thing. Or the preacher gets to doing stupid things or immoral or stuff like that, that's different. And you, you need to, yeah, I can't follow you like that, chief. But I'm talking about nitpicky little stuff, whatever. No, it's going to always be hard for whatever you got going on. It's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult. You have to learn how to adapt. Amen. Amen. My brother, I was talking to him yesterday. He went through a, a difficult time in his life recently, and he just got him. Uh, he had lost his job, 